Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Thank you for coming along. I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Clayton Powell III. Leon Trotsky, the Russian revolutionary, said, you may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. Well, I say to you, you may not be interested in artificial intelligence, but artificial intelligence is interested in you. We are extremely fortunate to have as our guest today one of the world's foremost experts on the subject, Stuart Russell, Professor of Computer Science at the University of California, Berkeley. Stuart, welcome to the broadcast. Let me start by asking, how big a deal is AI? And should we be worried or in wonder of it? So um, a few years ago, I think it was 2014, I co-authored uh, a review of a film. Uh, the film was Transcendence. And I co-authored that review with Stephen Hawking, uh, Frank Wilczek, who's a, a Nobel laureate in physics, uh, and Max Tegmark, who's a professor of physics at MIT. And in that uh, review, we mentioned that success in AI would be the biggest event in human history and might be the last event in human history. And um, so, yes, uh, it's a big deal. Um, we should both be concerned and amazed uh, about the possibility of creating uh, intelligent machines that are more capable than human beings, uh, which would change our civilization forever. Can you give us some examples of the catastrophe that could result? Uh, systems such as ChatGPT or the next, you know, some future generation um, could easily collude to convince the human race um, that actually we should not pay much attention to climate change or convince uh, everybody in the West that we should be more hostile to China and everybody in China that they should be more hostile to the West and precipitate a nuclear war that way. And interestingly, we might go to our doom without even realizing that we were being taken there by the AI systems. Uh, Stuart, you were among those who signed the letter asking for a pause in giant AI experiments. You wrote that the time for saying that this is just pure research has long since passed. Can you expand on that? Uh, sure, I should say I didn't write the letter. Um, I did sign it. Um, I did ask for a number of revisions, but it was too late at that point to, to go back and redo the letter. Um, and the point of letter is really to say that the systems that have already been released present significant risks and um, that future generations of those systems could present much greater risks. And we are not ready to, uh, to regulate or manage these kinds of systems. And so the pause, as it's called, is to provide a breathing space for governments to develop an approach to regulating these systems. Uh, safety criteria, essentially, that systems have to meet before they can be deployed uh, out in the real world or connected to the general public. And, you know, a, a friend of mine is head of the Food Standards Agency in, uh, in the UK, and she observed that, in fact, 
there are more rules around sandwiches than there are around artificial intelligence. You can't sell a sandwich to the general public unless you meet a whole raft of regulations on ingredients and preparation, hygiene, storage, labeling, and so on. Uh, and yet for artificial intelligence, there's practically nothing at the moment. So we, we think that there are some uh, immediate measures that could be taken. Um, and uh, the, the real meat of the legislative process is going to be in defining what exactly are the safety criteria that systems have to satisfy before they can be deployed. Well, just this week, we had what uh, Bloomberg is calling uh, a first, an AI image affected the securities markets. The image uh, seemed to show an explosion near the Pentagon and uh, the market dropped briefly before people realized it wasn't real. Is this a glimpse of the kind of day-to-day -day disruption that we can see in the future? Uh, th this is one set of examples. The, the generation of disinformation uh, now has power tools. Um, both, uh, you know, images and video um, are one thing, but text, the ability to target text to an individual, um, to put uh, items in their Twitter feed, for example, that are specifically designed to gradually change their view around Ukraine or China or whatever other topic it might, or, you know, a political candidate. Um, this is uh, extremely powerful. We, we certainly have had misinformation or disinformation in the form of propaganda for hundreds of years, but that's been a very blunt instrument. There's one propaganda message that goes out um, and it hits a few people successfully, but um, probably misses most of the targets. Whereas with these tools, you can have the tool read uh, all available information about an individual, everything they've ever written, everything that's written about them, uh, and tailor a message for that person. Um, see if that message hits home, try a different variation, uh, and so on. So a very targeted, uh, individualized propaganda campaign against a particular person, and then do that you know, for 10 million people before lunch. Um, let me go back to the, the subject of regulation. This seems to me to be ubiquitous and amorphous. How do you regulate it? What are the points where you can put the handcuffs on it? So there are some uh, what, what people call horizontal regulations, which, which cover all scenarios and applications. One simple example would be that, um, put in a positive sense, humans have a right to know if they're interacting with a human or a machine uh, in any venue, in any medium. And uh, that's something that is going to be in the European Union AI Act, which should be uh, finalized later on this year. Um, it's partly in California law, but only in the political arena. So you may not use an AI system that impersonates a human being for the purpose of convincing someone to vote in a particular election in a particular way. So the politicians have already carved out a little space where only humans can function. Um, but this I think is a natural uh, rule that I, I've never heard any meaningful pushback. Um, and I've talked to people in many countries 
about this. So I think that will be a place to start. Um, and then there are a lot of rules that actually already apply to human beings. For example, a human being can't give uh, medical advice or legal advice or financial advice unless they are qualified to do so. Um, and there are also some qualifications required for the recipient of that advice in the case of investment. Um, but at the moment, it's quite unclear from a legal point of view whether uh, AI systems can do those things uh, and get away with it. So we should um, at least enforce the same regulations that apply to humans uh, on AI systems. For the 2024 political year, including the presidential year, political consultants are already saying it's going to be the AI campaign. That exactly what you described, they can micro-target down to the individual level messages. And uh, yes, there may be laws in California and elsewhere, uh, but uh, you know, I grew up in New York and my friend in the Bronx used to say, locks are for honest people. So how, how do you enforce this? Yeah, I think enforcement is a huge issue. And uh, as you probably know, we have laws against uh, robocalls uh, to people who are on the federal do not call list. Um, there were probably on the order of a trillion violations of that law last year. Um, and as far as I know, no prosecutions. Um, and so uh, enforcement is really important. Uh, interestingly, at, at least uh, on for my phone company, they have decided finally to actually identify calls from known spam numbers uh, as such. And so now it says parable spam call and you can ignore it. Uh, and that's a step in the right direction. I don't, I'm not sure whether that was as a result of uh, regulatory pressure or just um, customer pressure. For AI systems in general, um, I think the regulatory process will work itself out um, for the people who are, you know, for the large companies who are offering these services. They will have to comply, otherwise they will face hefty fines as, uh, as Meta did uh, in Europe um, this week. They have a $1.3 billion fine to pay for uh, putting data in the wrong place. Um, the, the other part of regulation applies to the bad actors who don't have a fixed abode, uh, don't have a stock price, uh, and so on. And that's much more difficult. And I think in the long run, the answer is actually to change the way our digital ecosystem works. Right now, your computer will typically run uh, a piece of software unless it recognizes it as as malware, as a virus. Uh, and you have antivirus software whose job it is to recognize uh, software coming in that, that is known to be a virus. Um, I think actually it needs to switch so that the computer won't run anything that it can't prove is actually safe to run. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's a much safer approach. Um, it's a, you know, it has some regulatory difficulties, um, but we've actually done things like this before with, um, with copyright protection. The digital rights management process uh, showed that you can get global coordination um, and enforce 
certain restrictions on what your computer will actually do. So um, I think we should be working on this right now. It's inevitable that we need a way, as you say, to prevent bad actors from putting extremely dangerous AI systems uh, out into the world. When I read your letter or the letter, I was struck that it had some similarities to scientists who gained together to stop atmospheric testing of nuclear weapons. They said, this is a bad thing, don't do it. And basically governments have abided by the treaty signed as a result of the scientific pressure. Do you think we're going to see that here? Um, I think it's possible. I, when I signed the letter, I got a lot of uh, hate mail from people saying, well, you're just handing the race to China on a plate. You know, and this, um, this is a common refrain. We call it the but China argument. Uh, you know, any, anything bad that the United States or, or a Western country might be doing, if you object to it, then they say, but China. Um, but in this case, China has already issued regulations that are far stricter than any Western country is likely to produce. Um, they require, for example, that the AI systems uh, output true information, uh, which is actually an unattainable goal, given the way these systems are created. Um, we have no way of making them tell the truth. And, uh, uh, and that's really because we're not training them to tell the truth. We're just training them to output a plausible word, one word at a time. Uh, given what's come before. And that doesn't mean true, it just means plausible. Yeah, you actually wrote that the core problem is that neither OpenAI nor anyone else has any real idea how it actually works. That's an odd thing. I mean, I was just speaking to some Norwegian journalists uh, and um, they asked the same question, how could that be? I mean, we made this system, how could we not know how it works? And the answer is, well, we didn't really make it, we grew it. Um, or we evolved it. Um, and roughly speaking, you can think of it as a very large circuit where each, each wire in that, in that very large circuit, um, we can adjust the, uh, the connection strength that that wire uh, implements. And then you've got about a trillion wires in the system. And by adjusting all of those wires, you can change the output of the circuit uh, given the input. So the input might be an image or it might be some text and uh, the output could be a new piece of text or it could be uh, a name for the object in the image or whatever. And we train these systems simply by making small random perturbations to all the connection strengths in the system. So we have about a trillion uh, wires in the circuit that, is, that constitutes ChatGPT. And then um, we do about a trillion, trillion small random perturbations of those connection strengths to get it to be good at predicting the next word. And then um, we hope for the best. I, I made an inquiry about uh, an economist and got three perfectly written paragraphs back, which were basically as good or better than I would write. And this was very disturbing to me. This is my job at stake. Uh, um, what are the chances of this takeover of the culture? 
I think it's a very real prospect. And in fact, the Writers Guild uh, is on strike at the moment. Um, and one of their main concerns is that the studios not use AI to write the scripts of television shows. Um, so it's a, it's a very real concern and it's something that's emerged literally within the last 12 months uh, as a concern. Before that, the concerns were around uh, warehouse workers being displaced by robots, um, truck drivers and taxi drivers being displaced by the self-driving vehicles and so on. And I think most people in the literary and artistic and legal professions felt themselves quite safe, but that's turned out to be uh, an illusion. I think, um, I think it's gonna have a really disruptive effect on, uh, on the law, on journalism, uh, on education. I mean, imagine if you, you feel threatened by it. Imagine if you're you know, a 12 year old um, learning to write essays and you find that ChatGPT can already do everything that the teacher is asking them to do better than they can. Uh, and no matter how hard they try, they can't even catch up to what ChatGPT can do. How does that affect the motivation of a child in school? I think we'll find out fairly soon. Uh, Stuart, are you the uh, author of the, I think, enormously expressive phrase, words in, words out, which describes the very crux of this challenge? Uh, I've, I've, called, I've called it language in, language out, um, but as the description of what, what types of jobs these might threaten, um, in fact, an enormous number of people that that describes their job. Uh, they they have conversations um, in person, by email, by telephone, and um, and then that's the language in and the language out in the form of memos and uh, PowerPoint and uh, and other things. Professor Stuart Russell, how many books have you written on artificial intelligence? Uh, let's see, one, two, um, so three, uh, three individual books. Um, one, a, a book about machine learning back in the 1980s. Uh, one about rationality. Most recent one is called Human Compatible, which is an introduction to this uh, this issue of, of existential risk from AI and what we can do about it, uh, more to the point. Um, and then I've also written a textbook, which is now in its fourth edition. Um, and that's uh, that's the textbook that more or less everybody uses. Um, if we so wanted to, if we wanted to, could we expunge AI from the human sphere? Uh, I can think of only one way, and that's to get rid of electricity, and nobody's going to do that. That's an interesting question. Um, and in some in some science fiction books, for example, Dune, which is uh, now uh, uh, the, the, Dune, the second part of the film is coming out soon. Um, so in Dune, they've gone through a titanic conflict with the machines, which they, humanity survives by the skin of its teeth. And then they decide to ban AI um, and, and they do that not just as a regulation, but actually as a religious commandment. Thou shalt not make a machine in the likeness of the human mind. And so 
when you look at that film, they have unbelievable technology that transports people across the, the universe and so on, but they have no computers. And, uh, and that's one solution, but it's a very drastic one. Um, I'm not sure if uh, that's likely to happen. I've been, I've been working on the assumption, given that you know, the development of general purpose AI would be of such enormous value. Um, I have estimated it at uh, $14 quadrillion uh, as a lower, a lower bound estimate on, on the cash value of this technology. Um, given that, it's very unlikely that we're going to stop. So what I'm trying to do is to um, actually change the way we design our AI systems so that we can actually um, be sure that they will remain under human control. And there, there appears to be a way of doing that. Um, but, you know, the other way of doing it, the which is the way that uh, in the end leads to the extinction of human civilization. That other way has a 70 year head start uh, on the approach that I'm recommending. I've been doing work in Africa for 25, 30 years now, internet and digital technologies there. And this is from an OECD report from agriculture and remote health to translating the 2000 odd languages spoken across the continent. Artificial intelligence can help tackle the economic problems that Africa faces. True, or do you think that's uh, a bit too much, or are those the kind of benefits we're talking about? Um, I, I think those are good examples, and I think another one is education, um, because we, we've had the idea for many decades that you could build an AI tutor that could help an individual child learn uh, complex material, and the the evidence we have from human tutoring is that you can double or triple the rate of learning. Uh, as a result. So, you know, think about almost every child reaching a college level by the age of 11 or 12. Um, so that's, that's the promise of this, uh, of this technology. Um, until recently, there have been two main drawbacks, right, that we've built these AI tutoring systems, but they couldn't have any conversation with the pupil because they didn't understand language. Um, and they didn't understand the content of what they were teaching. So even if they could have a conversation, they couldn't answer any questions about, you know, Roman poetry or about uh, string theory or any, whatever else they were teaching. Um, but at, at least in principle, those two obstacles are removed now. And, you know, the, these uh, systems like ChatGPT have read thousands of textbooks about physics and thousands of, of learned tomes about Roman poetry. And, uh, and they can have that conversation and they can answer questions. So um, I think it should happen fairly soon that we'll be able to, to deliver high quality education to everybody in the world, at least everyone who has access to the internet. And thanks to your efforts in Africa, um, hopefully that will be a fairly large fraction of the population. Uh, so I think that could be an incredible benefit. And delivered over and delivered over a mobile phone. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so the, these types of applications can be designed in such a way that they don't present a significant risk. Um, their, their goals are restricted and, um, 
I think there there should be ways of developing them that are reasonably safe. So I I would like those to be the directions in which this technology develops, uh, as opposed to um, the kinds of systems that people are contemplating. Uh, for example, the the fully automated blackmail system, the uh, the fully automated salesperson who in, who lives in the metaverse, pretends to be a human being, and spends six weeks becoming your friend while dropping hints about uh, how much they love their new BMW or their new Rolex or whatever. Um, you know these kinds of uses uh, of AI. I'm sure they'll be very profitable, um, but they're not actually moving us in the right direction. I found uh, two people I knew when I was a teenager that I've been unable to find otherwise, but they were both relatively prominent. They were not obscure people, but I did find them and I had been searching for my goodness more than 60 years. And uh, so I want to ask first, Adam, have you asked any questions of the great artificial intelligence monster? Well, I think I may have been trapped in a uh, one of those dreadful phone trees, which uh, then dumped me into a conversation with uh, an AI agent, which didn't seem to be able to answer my question or even understand my question. So I think there's hope there that uh, they're not as perfect as we think, at least not yet. And uh, Stuart, do you ask things in your own behalf? Do you sometimes go on and say, there's this poem I read as a child and I'd love to know what it was or who wrote it. Something unconnected to your daily work as an expert on, as a scientist in the AI world. So I have to say I haven't. I, I have not felt a need to do that. Um, I, I can usually find answers to what I want through the regular search engines. Um, but I will say my wife uh, asked ChatGPT, who is Stuart Russell? Um, and it gave a fairly lengthy description with a lot of useful information, but it it asserted that I was a consultant to the World Health Organization, which is completely false. Um, and, and this is a baffling thing about these systems. There's no particular need. It's not as if there's a dearth of information on the web about me. Um, there was no reason why it had to make up something, uh, but it did, and this points to this, this problem. These are not uh, these are not question answering systems, right? They do not answer questions, and that's a hard thing to get your head wrapped around because they appear to answer questions, but they're not, right? The notion of answering a question is that you you have knowledge about that subject matter, and you're basically juxtaposing the question and the knowledge and figuring out what is the answer. That's our show for today. Uh, I thank you both very much for coming on. Until next week, I shall try to refrain from looking people up on the internet. It may not be right what I learned. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Wherever you listen, we are there.